0: You're listening to Conversation Balloons, interviews with experts and friends about how the generations can help each other thrive. I'm your host, Leah Farish. Check out this episode. Today you'll be hearing from the Reverend Jessica Moffat. She's lead pastor at First Methodist Church here in Tulsa. She's a graduate of the Candler School of Theology at Emory University, and Jessica began full-time ministry in Tulsa at First Methodist Church and was there serving for 12 years. And as the Methodist Church often does, she was appointed elsewhere and uh, served at other churches, First Methodists here and there. Then came back as senior pastor now and supervises a a staff of about 65 people. Her congregation is over 5,000. Many of her members, of course, are seniors. And today we're going to talk about what seniors bring to a congregation, what they need from church, and uh, I'm looking forward to hearing her very wise and uh, experienced point of view on this. Jessica, tell me, what do you find that your church members who are over 50 or 60 need from you as a pastor and need from church?
1: Well, first of all, thanks for including me in this conversation. It's such a vital conversation. I think that folks over 50 and 60 are not too unlike all human beings who want to be seen, want to be valued. They want to be understood. Uh, they're not asking or hoping for a lot more than that, other than just to um to be loved. You know, my thesis about every human being is that they just want to be fully known and once you know them, will you will you love them? So that's our assignment.
0: Mm. And how how do you hear that from people? How have you learned that that is true? It almost always happens when
1: I do something right. So I don't hear complaints because our church is so large. People do not expect to have a lot of interaction with the senior pastor. But I love to have a lot of interaction with my Older adults in my church, and so I might just show up quite unexpectedly, either at Inverness, which is a retired place here in um, Tulsa, or Montereau, which is another retirement center. Um, I might just call you if if I see that if something catches my attention. I will, I will most likely chase that. And also, I'm a spiritual person. And so uh, as I go through a day, I'm looking for opportunities that I feel are God-led. And so what I hear back are lovely rumors. So someone will say, "I heard that you did a front porch visit at so and so's house, and I just think that's so special so that's how that's how it got affirmed in me was I just started to do some of those when it was a bit more manageable in a smaller church and uh, so that's how i that's how I got affirmed to continue to do that
0: and they have certainly contributions that they want to make, what kinds of things does an older member bring to your congregation? The age group that we're talking about now is a, a
1: combination. Some of the younger-ish senior adults still feel rather confident about their abilities, and they're maybe newly retired and still really ready to go. But there also, I observe, comes this point where they begin to lose their confidence they doubt if they can still do what they did effectively. Um, they are looking for ways to serve, but they have apology alongside of it. So I really want to do this and I, and I hope I can. I hope I don't forget or I hope I make that appointment with that child to whom I'm going to read the book. Um, so it's a, it's a mixed bag because we do change as we get older. And uh, those changes, I think, make some people fearful.
0: Yeah, I uh, also, as you know, I'm connected with org, and it's, it promotes volunteerism. And I've noticed that a lot of, of seniors say, I have good days and bad days, <laughs> and I don't know when those will be. <laughs> and I would love to be dependable, and I would love to be involved, but I can't be, you know, my body doesn't let me. And um, it's it's poignant. But I have read that 80 percent of 60 to 80 year old people volunteer somewhere. They do love to serve and give back and um, get involved. And so in what kinds of roles do they get involved at First Methodist? So I
1: see two ways of looking at this. Sometimes a more mature adult will say, I've got All the time in the world, you tell me what you need me to do. But usually the case is a little different. There is a passion. And if we can tap into whatever that passion is, then there's no recruitment involved. It's more like they're asking you, can I please do this, uh, this ministry or this outreach? Uh, what I see my senior adults doing, it's just all across the board. We do have an outreach that we call Soup for the Soul, and it's a soup kitchen that we serve in downtown Tulsa. Uh, but we also have this age group that is uh, serving as waiters to the Rotary Club because the Rotary Club will pay them and they give that money to missions. And so they get paid per plate. And um, I just love that because that's, you know, just one of the um, more menial kinds of jobs is clearing tables and giving water and coffee. Uh, but we do have a new ministry with uh, the families from Afghanistan, and they have absolutely devoured that opportunity. The seniors have? Yes. Oh, my goodness. it. And it was at the end of COVID. So they had been so frustrated being um, alone and f- not fulfilling their purpose that when we were able to say, does anybody want to do this? Oh, we had like 150 senior oh. adults step <laughs> forward. And so we had, we got the five houses, but then we had to refurbish all of them. One was in very good shape. It had been a Airbnb, but the other four needed the floors um, scrubbed. They needed... Pers- purchases, paint, everything. And there was so much joy. So that's an illustration of maybe that wasn't a person's passion, but the care of the Afghanistan family was the passion. And so even before the family arrived, it got tied into their servanthood and their love for, uh, the stranger, the hospitality toward a stranger. So those two things, one is what we would call recruitment where we say, we need 10 people and and someone just, I, I'll do that. But the better way and the way that I think lasts longest throughout the latter part of life is to find that passion. I have found a passion that I have said to myself, I'm going to do this as long as I can breathe. <laughs> and that's uh, prison ministry. And so and I've also learned about myself that I need to behave as if I have a paying job all the time, so even I can foresee that even at my retirement, I'm gonna need to have some sort of a challenge or schedule or passion expression uh to just really keep sharp and enjoy life. I don't find a big difference between men and women on this uh the they both announce, "I'm so glad I'm about to retire, I'm just gonna do nothing, and then it's usually about a year when they say. I'm going crazy now. I've done nothing. Uh, can you put me to work? and many times it's this marvelous experience or skill set um, one time I had a, a person in one of the churches that I served prior to the one I'm in now where that person just said I'd be available forty hours a week and that person had been the CFO of a very large oil company and I uh, they said I, do, I don't need any salary. I just got forty hours. can you use me like I think I can find a way to use you, yes. And so we called that person a full-time volunteer, job-descriptioned volunteer. So the point I'm making is that those folks who have been in a professional um, mode, they're not content to just be in a recreational mode, most. And some of those, if they do get into a recreational mode, it's very purposeful, like they design a trip all over the United States with their new RV, and uh, it's, it feels like a job. Yeah. It's got so much stress that it feels like this the stress that motivated them before.
0: <laughs> that resonates with something that I read from Dr. Lewis Wolf, who is at uh, Hebrew Senior Health in Boston, and he works with the elderly in his patient population, of course. And he was asked, what is the most important factor for living to 100? And he said, having a sense of purpose. And I think a lot of people who have launched their kids, finished their paid career, finished their formal education process, and are at at that turning point, um, if they, you know, can be liberated by all that and find a, an additional purpose, they will thrive. But it, it is hard to do. It's hard to redefine one's purpose, especially when the workplace now in the last 10, 20 years has become really demanding, really different. Um, but it's it's so important and so intriguing to see people find a new purpose at that stage.
1: I do see evidence of the truth of that quote. And sometimes it is when I think I'm going to impose on someone. I need someone's skills or wisdom. And I think, well, I'm just going to call them and go ahead and ask. I feel like it's imposition. And I call and the response is, thank you so much. I wouldn't have stepped out. But since you asked, I'm so excited to do it. And that's also that appreciation and that I see you and I see a value in you that, that I need or that our church needs or our community Um so that sense of purpose flares up, especially when someone else says, I see this ability in you, and would you use that for this purpose? Uh, the answer is almost always yes.
0: And I, I imagine many um, find that they have a great enjoyment of the spiritual disciplines that they didn't get to have time for when they had kids around, when they had fortunes to be made, <laughs> people to be accountable to. You
1: know, you would think that, but. What I find is that if they didn't have um, an appreciation for the spiritual disciplines when they were work, they often don't have it also after they retire. But it is the moment to develop that passion f- for the spiritual disciplines. Um, we're having lots of aha moments throughout our church. We've had s- several teaching series lately on spiritual disciplines and ways to have an intimate, close relationship with God. And I just see these uh, retired folks as if they've never known this information before. And and that part of them wakes up. Uh, but it was not a natural thing. Whatever pattern they had when they were working, I just just maintained unless there was some new enlightenment or new commitment. Or a new challenge to do it. Or a new challenge. Or, I'm sorry to say, uh, a sorrow, a loss, a crisis. Uh, so many people say that their closest time to God was when they were completely without any other emotional resource. And they cry out to God and God is there. And there's just a, a sense of closeness that they begin to then say, how can I continue this relationship with God, even though now my life is so much better? How can I have that same intimacy that I had when I was in the crisis? I've tasted that and I, I want that. Um, so consequently, in our church, we've got so many opportunities to meet with other people one-on-one in small groups and classes to keep that alive.
0: Yeah. And I imagine many of them are dealing with loneliness. Either they've lost a spouse or up. Uh, Something that I noticed on our community uh, neighborhood app is how many women over 50 responded to a post about, you know, I'm retired and I just. I'm a woman and I live alone. I don't have family around and I just want friends. And she got like 115 answers. I mean, women from all over town were jumping on that. You know, uh, according to the last census, I believe 50% of women now live alone. 50% are unmarried, which would correspond. But um, they're... They have tremendous capacity to love and to do creative things and serve, um, but they are very much alone in the world.
1: Here's how we were able to verify that during COVID. We finally realized that it was the human contact, even over the telephone, that could be a game changer.
0: Individual human contact.
1: Individual. So we uh, we named 40 people we called care callers. And we gave them each a portion of our membership as their own little flock. And they were phone chaplains. And the commitment was uh, four times a year at least, if not more, that they would make a phone call to those who are at home. And, you know, the young families, they didn't even, we left a message, they didn't return the calls. <laughs> the, older, the older ones, uh, they would tell later, it was Lifeline for me. Uh, and it would be the same person who called every time. So it would be a follow-up like last time your son had this and how's he doing now? And uh, just that relationship, even even still, now that we're back from COVID pretty much, we're still talking about it.
0: Okay. Are you going to pr- continue that ministry at some level? We have that-
1: continued it. We now call them care- Care chaplains. Mm-hmm.
0: They were staff, or they were volunteers. These are all volunteers. Were a lot of them over sixty themselves. They are all over sixty themselves, <laughs> and
1: and it's the answer to their the callers' loneliness. There you go. The care caller, right? And at first they were a little uneasy. You know, how, how am I going to shape this conversation? Oh, it, they realized it's so e- it's so easy. So how are things? Uh huh. That's all you start with. How are things? Oh. and um. We did train them in some good listening skills. It's been really lovely. We oh, oh, The way that has progressed is now we call them lay chaplains also, and we, we badge them. So we send them to the hospitals, too, for visits and do so much more. So it is a, it is a chaplaincy
0: now. I love that. Do you find that your younger members accord the older members the kind of, of honor that you would like? To see? Is there unity there? Is there intergenerational communing? Um, Is that satisfactory at your church?
1: This topic is one that weighs really heavily on my heart. And we have set as one of our values at our church this intergenerational appreciation. And the way we got to that was really by what feels like a mistake on my part. Uh, Right when I came back to First United Methodist Church, I'd been away for. 19 years. And uh, when I came back, I began to, to beat a drum that said, if we do not bring more young adults into our church, uh, we're, we will die as a church. So we really must do that. What I didn't say as loudly is, and we sure want to appreciate everybody who's already here and a more mature crowd. And I touched, I think, on a little bit of a nerve there. Um, because our culture does not honor our Older adults, like other cultures do, and like our culture used to do. Do you remember when we were taught? maybe maybe you weren't, but I was't, that when an adult walked into the room, it was the right thing to do to stand up? you know that sounds so archaic now, but it goes along with the entire value that older adults um, had wisdom, that they had authority that they were to be appreciated and loved and listened to, uh, I I feel like that has been lost and that when I said we must focus, among many other good things, (laughs) on bringing more young adults into our church for our future, that um, one of the responses I got back kind of in a side door was like, well, so you don't appreciate the ones who built this church and gave the funds for, and you know, <sighs> I was just stunned like, oh, I just thought it was assumed that you are the core, you're the pillar. We wouldn't exist without you, but I didn't say that aloud. And so that started me in 2017 on a quest to honor our older adults. So we have had very interesting Sundays. Uh, one Sunday in 2018, we celebrated everyone who was over 90. And we had about f- 45 people who were over 90. Um, and then this year, we honored everyone over 100. And we did videos of each person, showed the whole video montage in church. But several of them sat on the front row. And, uh, and we honored them. Um, so I've tried to make it a real point after my mistake to balance my language out and always begin with um, saying, you know, you are the ones who have, who have done this. It, it even felt a little disrespectful that I wouldn't have done that in the, in the start. I think I assumed that they would have a sense of their own importance in our church. Wrong assumption. Uh, so that helped me kind of change my tune. Also, I've been exposed to several other cultures. Where there is a deep honoring of the the eldest and the older. And
0: inclusion.
1: Oh, inclusion. And the whole life is shaped around them. We think of cultures where the older adults, it is assumed that they will live with that family until they die. They're not on their own. Uh, in some of those cultures, those families just live together all the time anyway. So it's not like there's a separation and they move move in like we do in the United States. But uh, I've been inspired by those cultures and felt uh, a little saddened by what I think I've observed in the way in which we've lost that honoring, trying to bring that back, at least in my setting.
0: And you model that with church programs, um, and you hope, I'm sure, that that gets into the individual younger person's consciousness. You know, how can I honor them in an individual capacity? And that's beautiful.
1: The same thing happened a little bit with our conversations about worship. We were trying to find the DNA of our modern service, and we talked about it so much that the choir kind of sent a little side message saying, so is the choir still important in the other service? Isn't that so funny that when you highlight something really bit, you highlight it a lot. That those not highlighted, a little bit of a I don't want to say a pout, but like a little what about me? Um, and that's just the delicate balance that all pastors face. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to honoring these older adults, we just really must raise that value.
0: And I think younger people love the idea of stories and people having a story and including voices. And I think when you talk in those terms, they can get on board, you know, maybe the words honor and elder, you know, and wisdom maybe aren't their thing, but your lived experience and all that kind of language is, you know, very appealing to them and, uh, then all you have to do is give those forums for people that tell their story. We had
1: the most remarkable uh, pastor of Congregational Care. So he was mm, 65 at least, maybe approaching 70 or more. And he just said to our youth director, I'll go on your missions trips with you. And, you know, the rest of us don't always have the courage to put ourselves in the middle of, of youth. It's intimidating, actually, a little bit. And oh my, what a relationship he built with all those young men, especially young, young women also, but the the young men talked a lot about him, but he actually inserted himself. He was not recruited. He just said, I, I'll go. Um, and that's just been, that's just been huge. I will say that, you know, I've been preaching now for 38 years and the only time in the last 10 years that I've been nervous was about a year ago when I was asked to speak to the youth on a Wednesday night. <laughs> and I thought, why is this making me nervous? And uh, as I dug down into my own psyche, I thought, oh, it's just rejection. That's what, the, that's what I think Fear an older rejection. adult fears is that we will be perceived or thought of as not needed or old fashioned or irrelevant. So we don't insert ourselves and for me i i did I had a few imaginations like, gosh, I don't know what I would have to say that they would that would really catch their attention. Um, I got over that, and I found my way, and it was fine, but it it gave me a little of intuneness uh to the separation. I was just so surprised to find myself nervous.
0: You know, perfect love casts out fear, and I wonder if sometimes it can help just to focus on the love, and I remember Henry Nowen's phrase in his book, "The The Return of the Prodigal." I think it was, he talks about the role of the the father in that narrative, and that the father is operating from the authority of a great love, and that's been a very helpful phrase to me.
1: Well, you don't hear those two words together very much—the authority of love. That because I love, i it gives me a a certain depth, yeah, gravitas,
0: love never fails. you know, one thing I hear older people talking about a lot is the future in and in fact, I find that they they're talking about a future. Five to twenty years from now, more than I hear younger adults talking about it, I find younger adults very much in the present when I ask for their prayer requests. It's for something that's coming up this week. When I hear the prayer requests of an older person, it's for a very longitudinal issue, and we think kind of just the opposite, you know that older people are at the end of something and that they're not no they they are almost obsessed with the future <laughs> not just their own but they want to leave a heritage they have a they have a sense of urgency in a way that young people are having to devote to the immediate <laughs> and uh, they've got to they've got to give attention to meeting these immediate obligations but it reminds me of a of a chart I read by Jean Cohen and then it was compiled with a little bit different language by Jean Ilsley Clark. The four phases of adult development. We always think about developmental psychology as something that ends when, you know, the the development ends when you're twenty five or thirty. But they take it from there and say that at age thirty midlife reevaluation starts and you go on a quest. Um you're more in a quest rather than crisis mentality and you confront between 30 and 60 your sense of mortality the fact of your mortality and then between the mid-50s and mid-70s there's um, a sense of liberation and innovation often reinventing oneself uh, beginning to have a new sense of speaking your mind and then uh, mid-60s through 80s, summing up, recapitulating, resolving, contributing. Uh, and they have, according to this, uh, these two scholars, they have an urge to share their wisdom. That that sense of urgency about the future, I I see in a lot of my friends who are in this stage of life. And they want to look back and share their story. And then finally, late 70s to the end of life, encore, continuation, reflection, and celebration. And uh, they they have decided they want to live well to the very end by then. They're willing to explore new ideas, and maybe in a way that they weren't even at 60. But... uh, Not so much doubt, but reaffirmation and seeing what they've always believed in new contexts and for many in the light of eternity and uh, finding great satisfaction in those values that got them this far. Um, That's a very beautiful uh, prospect, I think.
1: By that late age, you've been through so much. Mm Mm-hmm. And if we follow the theme of suffering is a great friend to our learning and our maturity, that by that time of life, there's just not a lot that you haven't experienced and not much gets under your skin.
0: Yeah. There's not a lot that you go, this must not happen or that I'm afraid of. You're just not afraid.
1: There you go. It's, it's a
0: beautiful season. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm in that season, even which I
1: am, which is not near that <laughs> that age, but I I I love being this old because of the wisdom that I've been able to, to attain along the way and the fact that there's just not a lot that bothers me.
0: When I was looking at going to law school, I found reading cases was tremendously gratifying because I would see all these important life moments and then I'd read the end, a conflict and how it Turned out. I liked the turning out. I had been schooled in literature before that, and I, the ending of the story wasn't necessarily the important thing about great literature. It was the journey. It was, uh, but law brought this, these stories with resolutions, and I was reading today that you know older people have so many stories that they know how they turned out. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of wisdom in knowing how various lives you know turned out. I think of many lives in the Old Testament, um, even kings that are described in one sentence. The arc of their life can be summarized, at least in God's eyes, very simply. And uh, you don't know that until you've seen a whole life lived.
1: Mm. You know, when this kind of opened up for me, I was the pastor of a church in South Tulsa, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I was, I mean, I, I had a heritage of it so I wasn't that shocked but it was of course a big adjustment and I remember beginning to tell people and I had so many women say oh yeah I did that back in 19 whatever and I was like you've had breast how did I not know that you've had breast cancer how- why am I just now learning this and it was because it was just not that big of a deal anymore and I just thought how could it not ever not be a big deal cuz mm. I was in the middle of a big deal I was in my 40s and um so that's that's just that. It can maturity. be
0: very reassuring, can't it?
1: It was very reassuring to think oh, you've never even mentioned this. That means it's not a, you're not obsessed about it. You know, like I am with my new diagnosis. Yeah, very comforting. Well, another thought I had while you were speaking is that a very clever youth minister in my church uh, crafted a class called "Adulting." <laughs> And every week, there is some new adult experience that an older senior adult comes in and tells about. This is the story you're talking about a moment ago, Mm -hmm. is let me tell you the story of how that happened and how it worked out. Sometimes it's very practical, like how do you put... a. Car in your name, how do you get a title? Mm-hmm. How do you buy a house? Mm-hmm. How do you handle your finances and uh it was just a very nice blend of this goal I have, which is to help this cross generational experience happen
0: great idea I love that um and so gratifying for the older adults that were asked to do that. they will never forget getting i read i'm not sure if he's a pastor, but someone was saying uh, if you want to give If you want to make someone feel significant, give them something significant to do. And that's what you did by uh, arranging, creating a space for older people to share some of their wisdom. They know that's significant. And to have an audience, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. what a delight. That was good. I want to explore a little bit more about the men versus the women. I know that um, for many, especially of that age cohort, um, there may be more women in church than men. But of course, women uh, tend to survive longer and uh, be present in church and uh, on this earth a little bit longer. And uh, I wonder what you find in terms of the differences between men of that age and women in uh, in their spiritual, emotional uh, stages. I'll tell you something that I uh, read and reading a lot of psychological studies on human development. Men over 70 cry more than women over 70 do. And uh, they like, they report liking to cuddle more oh. than uh, women over yeah. 70 Isn't do. That <laughs> Interesting. What is, that's a nice surprise. <laughs> Men over 80 commit suicide oh. at a, a relatively high rate. Wow. And women, over sixty or seventy, rarely, rarely do, and that's true in other age groups as well. Men are t- tend to be about four times more uh, successful, shall we say, in uh, suicide attempts than women. But what comes to mind is uh, the are the faces of some very
1: bright and lively women, who are fun and funny and very expressive. And uh, I see many more women who are expressive like that than I do men expressive like that at okay. that age. Oh. Uh, but what I do see in men, I see a real quest for learning still. Mm-hmm. Uh, some are looking into scripture in a way that they've not before, and they engage with A sermon. Uh, Some of them will come with a pretty detailed question at the end of a sermon or they'll write me an email in the middle of the week and say, I've been wondering this after what I heard Sunday. And they want to engage on those kinds of conversations. I don't get that as much from women. We have a group in our church that is a widow's And those are all this age group really that we're talking. And my goodness, they just love getting together. And they're from across the community. They're not just our church members. Once oh, yeah. word got out that we were doing this and that it was open to everyone, uh, we had lots of drop-ins uh, who are now... So point I was headed toward there is that I, my office is down the hall from them. And oh, my goodness, they're just screaming with laughter sometimes. <laughs> and uh, I don't hear that so much with the men. Last week, I had breakfast with a Bible study group of... 12 men who have met since 1972 every Tuesday. Oh. And that was a beautiful thing to behold. Oh. So I'm in a room uh, with gray-headed men at one of their offices. Uh, they wanted to hear a little bit about the future of the church. And um, it was really interesting to hear that they, how left-brained they were. The questions that they asked me were very uh, data-seeking. Uh, so that's one thing I see that's a difference.
0: Would you say that uh, people over 60 are working on issues of reconciliation with trying to fix estrangements, forgiveness, being forgiven? Do you see that a lot in that age group? The
1: topics about which I see that estrangement are related to some of the more controversial topics in our culture. And it's interesting to watch the journey.
0: Would you say that Church by nature is a multi generational institution? Does it have to be multi generational to be healthy? Scripture
1: certainly describes the households. In Methodism, we baptize babies, and there's one place in Scripture it says, And Chloe and her household were all baptized. And my imagination just takes off with that, seeing this cross generational uh, experience of faith and, and baptism. Um, I think we are we are losing our young adult uh, population with this thing that's either called disenchantment or a deconstruction. There are a lot of names for what's going on in folks who are really up to thirty five and forty. Uh, I find that really discouraging because they speak of of being hurt, so that they are not opposed to. Jesus and they have a relationship with Jesus. They're just opposed to the church because we have come across uh, in ways that are, we may not be unappealing, but we have been perceived. So I think that's just really the challenge now is how do our older adults uh, reach out to younger adults, especially if a younger adult makes an initiative to step inside our building. How's that experience gone? Um, and in our church, we've now made such a big deal about this cross-generational love that we hold as a high value that many young adults talk about. Sometimes when a young adult will join the church, I'll just say, well, what what made you join? And they'll talk about Eve who sat behind them and greeted them every Sunday and gave her candy out of her purse. uh, So it is those relationships that I think ultimately um, land well on the heart of a young adult and that that is the hope. If I were to name a piece of scripture that I think really speaks to this age group, it would be Psalm 71. Tell us about that. Well, two places in the Psalm, it talks about uh, this, the writer who is saying, uh, clearly I'm getting old. And, uh, the first, you know, eight verses are all about praise and I want to fill my mouth with glory of the Lord all day long. But then verse nine, uh, He's not really accusing God of doing this. He just says, do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength is spent. Um, But the part I love the most is right toward the end when it starts to say what his purpose is. You know, we talk about the fact that at this time of life, it's when uh, we live best if we've got a really good purpose. So Psalm 71, verse 14, starts this whole rendition of who I'm going to be now. So, but I will hope continually and I will praise thee yet evermore. My mouth will tell of thy righteous acts and of your deeds of salvation all day long, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of God, I will come and I will praise your righteousness. O God, from my youth, you have taught me. So that's that point we were trying to make a little earlier, which is, I've learned so much in my life. From my youth, you have taught me, and now I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. And here's verse 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me so that I can proclaim with all my might to all generations to come your power and your righteousness. O oh God, may it reach the highest heavens. Thou who has done great things, O oh God, who is like... And then the whole rest of it is just, my lips will shout for joy. My tongue will talk of your righteousness all day long. It's a beautiful uh, psalm to say, even here at the end of my life. My purpose is to relationship with God the Almighty, acknowledge what he has done, taken all the lessons of my youth, and pave the way for those who are coming after me. And the references to gray hair, if you kind of dig into the text a little bit, it's a little bit of humor there. You know, like, here I am, old as anything, and yet I still have a mouth to praise you. I have a way to tell those who are coming behind me of the things I have learned. Uh, Is that perhaps not the most
0: beautiful and powerful part of that stage of Pointing ultimately to something outside of one's life
1: purpose. That's it.
0: Jessica, thank you. We are so honored to have talked to you. Would you be willing to someday come back and join us?
1: I'll come back anytime. Thank you. This has just been great. Thank, thank you so you. much. Appreciate
0: you having me. All right. Well, we hope that uh, all of our listeners will rate and review us and uh, subscribe on any platform that they're using. I want to thank my producer, Kayla Broker. We'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening to Conversation Balloons. Look for more episodes and information at That's LeahFarish.com. That's L-E-A-H, F-A-R-I-S-H.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram.